0: Hello. Thank you for listening to The Ringer MLB Show. It's been a busy week in baseball, and we're going to have a busy show for you. But first, I have to ask, how much sleep did you get last night? Getting enough sleep and waking up on time aren't easy, but they can be. Sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help. They have the widest selection of America's best-selling brands, and they have beds for every budget, everybody, and everybody. Everybody. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and save 10% with the code podcast10. And if online shopping isn't your thing, Mattress Firm stores are in your neighborhood, so better sleep is right around the corner, literally. I'm considering a move to LA. Welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. As always, we are part of the ringer podcast network home to on shuffle with Micah Peters binge mode with Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion and the watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan and many, many more great shows and be sure to check out the ringer.com. We're just in the MLB department alone this week. We have Zach Cram on the Red Sox and their record breaking start. Claire McNear was at the home run Derby last night. She has everything you want to know about Bryce Harper's emotional win. And uh, over the weekend, I wrote about Mike Matheny's firing and potentially, Potential Manny Machado trade destinations and the historical context in which we might evaluate his trade return. We're going to talk about all of that uh, later on the show today. We're recording before the All Star Game, so if you're listening to this after the All Star Game, congratulations to either the American League or National League uh, on on winning this year. But then, right as we were sitting down. Bob Nightingale reported that uh, the Manny Machado trade is very close to fruition. They are expected to trade Machado to the Dodgers on Wednesday. So, Zach. Hello. We're calling an audible. What do you make
1: of this? The first and most interesting thing to me is that about two months ago when Corey Seager was found to be out for the season due to needing Tommy John surgery in his elbow, he is obviously the Dodgers shortstop, and he's a very good shortstop, so the obvious conclusion was the Dodgers should go get Manny Machado, except they were not in very good position in the standings back then, and they didn't trade for Machado. Except now, two months later, they're back in first place in the NL West, and they're making a push. And I think it's interesting from their perspective that they waited and waited, and now presumably the prospect package they'll have to give back is less. But even then, it's kind of a surprise that the likes of Max Muncie and Ross Stripling and Matt Kemp played well enough in the interim to make it worth pursuing Machado, and now they have another all-star shortstop to plug into this lineup, which looks fearsome now, and possibly, I don't know, is it the best in the National League?
0: I'd have to go player by player, and I don't have the numbers up. I think the the Cubs would probably be up there as, as one of the... But nobody else immediately comes to mind, although I'm sure we'll get we'll get letters and we'll get tweets uh, saying that. But, yeah, the why not trade for Machado as soon as Seager went down? I think we talked about that on the on the pod, that it would have made a, a perfect like for like replacement. And maybe it was just a matter of finding the right prospect package. And I don't. You know, you wonder why trades like that don't happen sooner. And, you know, as early as you see a trade, is, is when did the Quintana trade happen last year? Like early July June? 4th or so. Was it July? Was it that late? I think so. That felt super early at the time. Um, and I wonder if it's just that game of chicken that Ben and I were talking about last week. That there's... You're just trying to find a better bargain and maybe, you know, Machado's been depending on who you ask, probably call it three wins. You know, those three wins could have ended up mattering a lot if uh, the Dodgers hadn't sort of turned things around on their own. So Nightingale didn't report a specific prospect uh, package, at least not that I've seen so far. Uh, But John Heyman earlier in the day reported that the Dodgers were the front runners and that the two teams had discussed Yusneel Diaz, who's a double-A outfield prospect who you might have seen from his tour de force in the Futures game on Sunday. He's number 31 on Baseball Prospectus' midseason in top 50. That's the high prospect ranking on him right now. Um, that'd be quite a get. And I just wonder if the, you know, he's definitely better than Adonis Medina, who is the the prospect, who was who the lead prospect in the purported Phillies offer, which was uh, supposedly leading the negotiation as late as uh, Sunday or Monday. So if they get Diaz, that's a pretty good piece of business. I just think the Dodgers could have benefited even more if they were going to make this trade then just make this trade in mm-hmm. in April unless there's you know some negotiate inside negotiating information that that we don't know. Right, and
1: I think there are two ways to look at that. The first is in retrospect, right now of the 10 Dodgers who have had the most plate appearances this year, nine of them have been above average at the plate. It's sort of like the Astros were last year in depth if not in top-tier talent. The 10th person who's been below average is second baseman Logan Forsyth, who is well below average. His WRC plus right now is 58, and that's on a scale where 100 is average. So presumably if the Dodgers get Machado, they'll have him play shortstop because Justin Turner's at third, and then they'll be able to slide Chris Taylor over to second base, slide Max Muncie over to first, and put Cody Bellinger in the outfield. Right now, they've been playing with Forsyth at second. They've been playing Enrique Hernandez some at second. They've been playing uh, Muncie at second, where he's probably overextended with the glove. So you think if they had Machado instead of Forsyth the whole time, you're right, that's an extra win or two or three. But the other way to think about it is going forward, now if the Dodgers make that exchange, they have first just a great middle-of-the-order bat to put in, especially while they wait for Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger to really get going. But also it just means they have so much depth now and so much flexibility to play around with platooning with Hernandez and Jock Peterson and Bellinger in the outfield. And it really completes their team. So I think it's a question of, yes, they they maybe should have done this earlier but they're not necessarily in a worse off position they're still in first place in the nl west now and maybe they were lucky that arizona experienced yeah. a terrible month and it that feels like of, they
0: got away with something
1: they kind of did but maybe that's why they're making this trade in the first place if arizona had been consistent all year and the dodgers were five games out maybe they don't make this trade at all
0: and that's the contrast of, and i'm apologize for continuing to talk about a trade to the Phillies that probably will never happen now. Um, It would have meant something different even though the Phillies are in the same position. I think exactly the same position in the standings relative to the Dodgers. They had a couple tough losses and sort of go into the break looking at their last week of the the first half. Sorry, Ben, I called it the first half uh, as a missed opportunity. Um, And I wonder if Machado would have felt like like, that move almost feels like trying to arrest a slide, whereas the Dodgers just feels like hitting the mushroom in Mario Kart. Um, and, you know, I I think there—I don't—maybe there might be less pressure on Machado uh, joining a team that went to the World Series last year that already has so many stars, as opposed to— there would have been, a you know, a, a lot expected of him uh, if he had gone to Philadelphia um, so I wonder if if this is a better situation for him not you know not to say that he can't handle being the franchise guy he's obviously he's done that more in Baltimore I just you know wonder if this might be um you know a better situation for him at least in the short term
1: and of course the long term has implications too because Machado will be mm-hmm. a free agent after this year given the way Bryce Harper has played this season Machado might be the most sought after and highly paid he's free, free agent, agent after this year and I think Machado probably won't sign an extension in season, but at the very least, he'll be able to become familiar with the Dodgers organization, their clubhouse, playing in Los Angeles for a couple months, and that isn't necessarily a minor factor when it comes to making his decision this fall. The Dodgers, like the Yankees, specifically went below the luxury tax this season with the express purpose of opening up room to be able to attract free agents this offseason. Now, if Clayton Kershaw opts out, maybe the Dodgers will use all their money re-signing him. But I don't think there's a a non-zero chance, or I think there's a non-zero chance that this becomes a somewhat deterministic factor in Machado's decision this offseason. And it could have gone the same way in Philadelphia, too.
0: And you think that's something that I think people who are Focusing on Machado's contract situation, don't really appreciate enough, and sometimes it doesn't matter at all. Uh, But you know, Cespedes signs with the Mets just because he had such a a great time down the stretch in 2015. Like that's if if they don't make that trade, they don't get Cespedes. And the same thing, you know, go a little bit further back to Matt Holiday in St. Louis. Um, You know, and sometimes. Carlos Beltran, you know, with his various deadline trades, but most specifically the Astros in 2004, he played great down the stretch. They had a great postseason and he, you know, still decided to move on. It's something, you know, it's a risk. You can't assume that if you're trading him that he's going to resign, but it's just another thing in the favor of any team that, that pulls the trigger early.
1: It's hard to imagine it would hurt their chances.
0: Exactly. Well, we'll see. You know, if they. If they uh, go 20 and 40 down the stretch and uh, and the clubhouse implodes, then he's probably not re-signing there. But if that happens, they've got bigger problems.
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is with Machado moving to Los Angeles, it does create some wrinkles. There's been a lot of talk from myself and others that Machado's defense at shortstop has been the worst in baseball this year going by various advanced metrics. Obviously, half a season of defensive metrics is, I don't know, roughly the equivalent of a month of offensive stats. So maybe he's going through right. a slump. I know uh, our... I think
0: I, I'm on... I, I don't think he's great at shortstop, um, but I, I think that's to a certain extent a, a statistical mirage. But. Yeah,
1: and, and I think that does have long-term implications with him signing an extension, but... I think with a player of Machado's caliber, it's probably worth trading him right now as long as you're not giving up your top prospects. I really enjoyed the piece you wrote yesterday about the history or the recent history of rental players and the prospects they returned because oftentimes the guys that are giving back either don't turn into stars or if they do turn into really quality players, you're sad you gave up. You still enjoyed a run to the World Series like the Mets did with Cespedes, even though they gave up Michael Fulmer
0: exactly um and that's why and you know i'm it, it, that's not to be you know i didn't mean that to be construed as just trade everything for this guy you might lose in 2 months you know it's you know in so far as i i look at this from a Phillies fan perspective, I wouldn't trade Sixto Sanchez for him. Like if, if the Dodgers give up Diaz and that's better than Medina and Jalen Ortiz or whatever other guy they were going to give up. And, you know, and if that's the case, then he got beat and you make a run at him in free agency. But, um, you know, there's, there's so much to be gained by trading for a player that good this late in the season, particularly if you're already in a playoff position as the Dodgers inexplicably, uh, considering where they were a couple months ago, are right now. Um, so, I mean, this I don't want to say, like, this will turn the National League because the Dodgers might have won the pennant anyway, or they might not win the pennant with, It might not even make the playoffs with Machado on the roster if that's where he eventually ends up. It'll be interesting to see what the ultimate package looks like and when it happens and what the timing is because the All-Star game and Machado being the or- being the only bright spot for the Orioles this year has made this so much more complicated than it needed to be, I think. And
1: the fact that it's happening, we presume, about two weeks before the trade deadline does have interesting ripple effects, too, because now teams like the Diamondbacks, who are in a race with the Dodgers for the NL West.
0: You make the counter move. Exactly.
1: And I mean, they had maybe the best deadline deal of anyone last year. And adding J.D. Martinez, they were reportedly sort of on the periphery of Machado trade talks because they could use a shortstop. They basically just need another hitter. Uh, maybe even another pitcher, too. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond Does a team like the Cubs respond, given that their rotation is currently being held together by duct tape and whatever is in Tyler Chatwood's arm right now. And how do the Phillies respond to not adding someone? How do the Yankees respond to not adding someone? I think the fact that we have two weeks left could potentially make this a much more interesting trade deadline than we might have otherwise had.
0: All right, unless you got something else, let's talk about the Home Run Derby, because that was a lot of fun. And I want to make sure we don't just blather on about this trade that hasn't happened yet uh, to the exclusion of, of a really great couple hours of TV. Go for it. It was awesome. I love the bracket format. The Home Run Derby was so boring in the, it, it really picked up. There was that year where Cespedes really put on a show, but really the, the latter days of like the post Josh Hamilton where it was just, where it was a lot of taking pitches, but this, you know, it, it adds the head to head element. I think there was, I was a little worried about the lack of star power. Cause last year we got Stanton and judge and Gary Sanchez and really Harper, um, was the only guy that you would really want to go out and watch hit, you know, take batting practice in the, in that group. And even there weren't as many spectacular home runs like the, the, uh, Defining images last year, Dellin Betances, uh, just like with his hand over his mouth as Judge was was uh, hitting 510 foot home runs, was the defining image of last year. And no, Harper was really the only guy who really hit those monster home runs. But it was the defining images of this one were the just those sort of. Last minute binges, you know, Hoskins had one in the first round. Schwarber came back to beat him in the second round with one of those. And Harper hit nine home runs in 47 seconds in the final. Um, Just when he gets in, when one of those guys gets into a rhythm and it's just one after another, after another, like it was just a different, it was a different experience than just watching Aaron Judge sit back and crank. You know, it's like a, a distance versus rate of fire thing. It was cool to see that.
1: It's kind of heretical to say, but I think this is the one spot where adding a clock to baseball, the most timeless of sports, is a really smart idea. Um, It adds stakes and pressure. I I watched part of the Josh Hamilton Home Run Derby uh, yesterday in sort of preparation for this event and the full YouTube video of Hamilton's round, which is still the coolest Home Run Derby thing I've ever seen. The full YouTube video is something like 27 or 28 minutes long. Oh my god. Which is absurd and part of that is just because he hit so many home runs, but a lot of it like you said is taking pitches and waiting for the right ones and even when he went on his run of 13 homers in a row, it was still interspersed with six or seven pitches that he took. Whereas Harper yesterday was just swinging at everything because he had the clock counting down and he needed to catch up to Schwarber. Because his dad couldn't find a plate. <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of watching a basketball game where you get Steph Curry hit six three-pointers in a minute and a half. And it's not something you get in baseball very often, which has a more of a methodical pace and the events are more discreet. So it was cool to add that element to a sport that otherwise doesn't have it very often. I also think the lack of star power didn't matter as much, at least for my enjoyment. One of the graphics that surprised me last night was when they were interviewing Freddie Freeman on set. and Yeah, he didn't
0: enjoy this graphic. <laughs> right,
1: and they flashed that at the age of 28, he was the oldest person in the Derby. And I know I advocated that Ichiro should be in the Derby last week, and I stand by my case that that would have been fun, but it is kind of cool to see the young players be able to have these moments, even though Javi Baez got eliminated early, uh, he still had these moments. And I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Javi Baez is an established star right now. I think, apart from Harper, he's probably the second most famous person in the, in the home run derby field. But I sort of like the home run derby is serving the same function as the dunk contest where the, you just get the people who are best at this thing. And, um, not necessarily the biggest stars, and they can put on a show just for the sake of putting on a show. You know, was, I think it was a good moment in the in the sun for Reese Hoskins and Alex Bregman. Um, you know, Schwarber was was very highly hyped when he first came up, and has sort of had an inconsistent past year and a half to two years. Um, you know, ever since <clears throat> ever since his knee injury, um, so I don't. I, I think that did prove that the lack of star power didn't really take anything away from the the show. Um, I do want to say that Bryce Harper's dad, short Triple H, um, got off easy because he pitched to him. I think it was a 2015 home run derby. And the the only person who really bet bened- They're the only people who benefit from having their family members throw at, you know, throw batting practice soon were Robinson Cano and Todd Frazier and we've seen this really backfire in the past I don't think Javi Baez's brother uh really gave him a whole lot to hit uh Chris Bryant that same year his dad had to be told to pay attention you know he was wasting time watching home runs and and Harper's dad you know was giving him movement he's he's uh you know jamming one of the Harper's home runs he really got jammed on so this was I think Harper bailed Dad out a little bit because this could have been a repeat performance of the last time they did this.
1: And it was a, a fun moment, of course, that it was in Nationals Park.
0: Obviously, yeah. If you pull that off, it's great.
1: Claire McNear wrote a great piece for the site. She was there last night about what it meant. Uh, of course, there were also all the the Twitter jokes about Harper finally making it out of the first round and giving DC a title. But it is going back to the Steph Curry comment. Like, that's where having someone perform this feat in his home home stadium is fun. I'm already thinking forward to next year. Like, can we get Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez in the Derby uh, when it's in Cleveland? Because I mean, they love those players and we've seen them go wild for home runs in the playoffs before. What happens if they hit six or eight in a row? The fact that I'm looking forward to the Derby a year from now already speaks volumes about how much better this event is than when I didn't even used to watch the whole thing.
0: Yeah. All right, we're out of time. I got to go talk to Robert Mays about the Kyle Schwarber element to, to the Home Run Derby and whether Bryce Harper won by cheating and should have his his title stripped. But uh, we'll pick this up. We didn't get to Jacob Degrom and his trade demands, but we'll, we'll pick that up. Something uh, next tells week. something yeah, tells me the
1: between. the Mets won't have traded him by then, so we'll have plenty to talk about.
0: All right, thanks, Zach. i will talk to you later. Bye, Michael. Thanks again to Zach, and we'll be right back with Robert Mays, his thoughts on the Home Run Derby and the Chicago Cubs right after this. do you consider yourself financially minded and someone who knows how to maximize earnings? What if we told you that you could be earning a lot more interest with Memory Bank's Earn More Checking? Memory Bank's Earn More Checking account pays 1.60% annual percentage yield. That's 30 times the national average on interest. They don't have confusing monthly requirements that you have to fulfill to earn this great rate. Your deposits will start growing from dollar one. Their online account opening process only takes 10 minutes, and their online banking platform is easy to use with features like mobile deposit, bill pay, and external transferability. Best of all, since Memory Bank is a digital arm of a well-established community bank, it was designed to give you a community bank feel while focusing on innovation, the best of both worlds. Visit MyMemoryBank.com MLB and apply to start earning 1.60% APY today. 1.60% annual percentage yield APY as of June 28, 2018 paid on Earn More Balances from $0.01 cent to $249,999.99. For funds in excess of $249,999.99, 0.05% APY will be earned. $50 minimum opening deposit. Message and data rates may apply. Member FDIC. All right, joining me on the line right now is Ringer football writer and Bon Vivant, Robert Mays here to talk about the most Robert Mays baseball player in existence, Kyle Schwarber, at least right off the bat. Mays, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Last night was fun. I don't usually care about the home run derby, but I had to show some level of investment yesterday emotionally. So let me ask you about your level of of
0: investment. Cubs fans have noticed, certain Cubs fans on the internet, which as we know is uh, home to a large and varied variety of of, uh, opinions, have noticed that Bryce Harper's dad let go of the ball on one of his home runs before the ball landed, or before the previous ball landed in contravention of home run derby rules, and are circulating a change.org petition to have the result voided and the title handed to Kyle Schwarber. And I want to know if you're involved in this. Uh, I'm
2: not involved in that. There are a lot of things going on in the world that, that I feel pretty strongly about. This is not one of them.
0: You know, I joked about Schwarber being the most Robert Mates player, but he's a cub. He's a former football player, not just a football player, but like a beefy middle linebacker type. You know, what was watching him put on that show on that stage like?
2: It was a blast. I mean, he's just somebody that has given me a lot of joy through stuff like that. I mean, there are moments where he'll just hit a home run that doesn't make sense according to the rules of science. I mean, there was one he hit this year that had like 117 mile an hour exit velocity that somehow got out. I mean, it barely grazed the top of the wall in right field at Wrigley. It's like, I don't even understand how that's a home run. And the his Herculean feats that I get to Enjoy and witness every once in a while to get everyone else in one place to watch them over and over again for a couple hours. It was enjoyable. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that is very fun to watch. I mean, I like having him on my team as a guy who just watches pretty much every single Cubs game and gets to enjoy the rhythms of a season and all that kind of stuff. He's somebody that brings me a lot and I'm glad other people got a window into that even for a brief moment.
0: What do you think of of the new and improved skinny Schwarber? I kind of miss the old body, but I understand why he'd want to slim down.
2: I think it's he looks a little bigger now than at the beginning of the season. Maybe I'm not seeing that correctly, but I guess I've just gotten so used to it that I don't notice the drastic difference anymore. It's been fun. I mean, it hasn't been as much of a disaster in left field as it probably could have been. I don't know if that's a product of the skinniness or whatever, but I think it's helped in some ways, and... In terms of the aesthetics, I, I don't notice it anymore. So maybe that's just me. And again, watching the slow transformation.
0: I asked you to to come on a, a few days ago before, when the Cubs were not in first place. They have since overhauled. Since the first time we talked, we they have overhauled the the Brewers in the division. They look. They have as of right now the the best run differential and best playoff odds in the National League. You know where? Yeah. How how are you feeling now as opposed to a week ago? And how do you feel down the stretch run?
2: I feel like they were the benefactor of some very Padres games. I mean, they got pretty lucky and and did not exactly play super well out on the West Coast. And it got a couple breaks that I'm not going to be opposed to. Uh, And the same thing happened during that kind of Fourth of July homestand uh, on the seventh, eighth, ninth. I was at a couple of those games and it's like, oh, goodness. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. So the results, I I would say, have gone in their favor when they didn't necessarily have to overall just about this team in general. I feel very good about the lineup. I'm just—I think they are deep. I think they have a lot of guys that are playing well. You know, there aren't many guys that can come to the plate at this point and have me not be very confident, and that includes Jason Hayward, which is maybe the biggest emotional swing I've taken about this team in the last 12 months. I don't feel nearly as good yeah, about sure. what's going on with the pitching staff. So <laughs> that—that's an area that I feel I—I I feel, I get worse and worse in terms of my confidence every single day.
0: You want to talk about Ch- Tyler Chatwood specifically? I was just looking up at his his game log and this, you know, walks are, are on the decline and Chatwood has walked multiple batters in every start dating back to April 10th was the last time he only walked one batter in a start. He's walked three or more in his last four starts. Um, what is it like watching him pitch as and being invested in him not
2: getting blown up? It's terrifying. It's the problem is it's not necessarily the walks. I mean, to have a lack of control in the margins and to not be able to necessarily place your pitches. And again, maybe it's a few inches off here, a few inches off there. Watching him is kind of reminds me of watching Brock Osweiler a couple years ago playing quarterback for the Texans where you don't know where it's going to go. There's a ball that will just bounce five feet shorter than where it's supposed to. And the next one will go 10 feet over somebody's head. I mean, it's not necessarily a matter of he doesn't have a ton of control right now. It's that he has no idea where the ball is going. I feel like these are two different conversations and that also leads to him (laughs) putting the ball straight, you know, right into the zone when he doesn't want to be. I mean, the ball is feet and like several feet away from where he wants it to go consistently. So in that way, it's kind of an adventure. But when the bases are loaded and he's 32 pitches into a start every first inning, it's not necessarily the type of adventure I want to be on.
0: So I like this game of comparing pitchers to NFL quarterbacks. So who's John Lester <laughs> in this metaphor?
2: John Lester, That's a really good question. I think Roethlisberger seems like an easy answer because it feels like Wiley veteran. They're both big guys. Like Roethlisberger is an interesting comparison to me. They're both big guys. Mm-hmm. They I think they how their quality of play vacillates a little bit. You know, there's that year where Roethlisberger was just really on. I want to say it was like 2015 where he was maybe the best quarterback in the NFL. And that is not necessarily how he is every year. He has up years. He has down years. It feels like Lester's game has kind of vacillated over the last couple of years in a similar way. But he still has that track record of success. For a while, it felt like this year was going to be that late late in his career, stellar John Lester year. Now it feels like that's coming back to earth a little bit. But that's the first one that comes to mind. I don't know if it's the best one, though.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not perfect because Roethlisberger's got the big arm and Lester's sort of the soft tosser that's at fair. this point in his career. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's not, yeah, from a from a result standpoint, it works. So, it's, I mean, that's that's got to be the place where if the Cubs are going to make a move, it's tough because they... They had this great farm system, and then all those guys are now big league contributors now. So they don't really have a lot of surplus to to deal from. You know, if they can go get somebody like Jay Happ, is that the kind of pitcher you'd be interested in, or would you want to see them try to get creative, maybe deal somebody off the roster like Ian Happ? You know, not that that I've necessarily heard that rumored or anything, but um, you know, what do you want from them at the deadline?
2: It feel it's a tough situation that they put themselves in because this was always the plan, right? You build your actual in-house farm system and prospect collection as position players. Those guys would come to fruition. You'd have that to build the lineup or to make deals for pitching maybe one or two years ago. And then you would go out and spend money on pitching. And that was once again the plan. They were going to go out and spend money on guys like Darvish and Chatwood. And I know Chatwood's not a big money starter necessarily, but he was a part of the plan through free agency. That has blown up completely. They made a multi-year commitment to him. That's a, you know, that's a fairly big contract. Yeah. I mean, they've spent money on on those spots and that was always the plan. Let's go out and buy pitching and it hasn't worked out. So when Mm -hmm. the plan you've had in place doesn't work, you're left kind of scrambling because again, they don't have the prospects to make a deal and you might have to go with some of the guys that are on the roster right now. That's hard for me just emotionally because I don't know who it would be you know which guy would you want to deal i i know it maybe makes the most sense cuz he doesn't play all the time and he could somewhere else but that's also a really good prospect in terms of a young guy to give up on i mean his slash line this year has been very good he strikes out too much still but he walks a ton i mean watching him at the plate is actually pretty impressive he's got such easy power he has that element that they've really enjoyed with other guys in the past where he can play everywhere I mean, the fact that you can just slot him in Mm -hmm. every spot in the outfield, he can play third base, he can play second base. That's the type of flexibility they covet. So you don't want to lose a guy like that. But again, who would you rather lose? So it's tough. I feel like they put themselves in a really unflexible position when it comes to making deals at the deadline. And I don't have a good answer. I don't want them to trade away a good Guy on the roster right now just to upgrade the pitching because I feel like the upgrades would be marginal, but I also don't know if this pitching staff as it currently exists can win a World Series.
0: I think it could be worse. I mean, it could Hendricks and Quintana are sort of, you know, it's not a it's not a bad starting rotation. It's not a bad
2: starting rotation. They haven't pitched well though.
0: Yeah, and and everybody in it sort of worries me a little bit. You know, we talk about the the plan not working it's it's worked okay this year and it worked great in 20 you know 2015 2016 and 2017 so you know i think that's as far as ways to get kind of an iffy farm system uh go like building a world series you know a cost controlled world series winner and then trading some of you know you probably like to have a uh, Glaver Torres or Jimer Candelario, but like those trades have been worth it so far. So it, they're in a tough position, but you know, I guess the optimistic way to look at it is it's difficult to upgrade now because they have already upgraded over the past couple of years and they're sort of running it back. Um, but, you know, I imagine that doesn't make you feel any more comfortable with Tyler Chatwood. Um, having no idea where the ball's going. Although I guess the, the comfort in that is he wouldn't be pitching in the playoffs.
2: So here's the thing. I, I feel like it's worked well over the last several years. I'm very pleased with how it's worked out. Mm-hmm. It's just that this year, you've seen kind of yeah. the cracks <laughs> and what can go wrong. No, I, I, would, I would do all of the deals they made again, probably. Not necessarily the free agent choices, but all the trades and the decisions they've made with the prospects. It's just at a certain point, you can reach this where it's a little less rosy. You don't know what's going to happen necessarily. And yeah, and with Quintana and and Hendricks, that's part of the problem is that a guy like Hendricks has pitched above his station for, I don't know how long. And this year he's kind of come back to earth a little bit. You know, that changeup hasn't been where it was in the past, everything else. So That's the issue, is that some of the big deals you made, some of the even emotional hedges you made about guys that you already had on the roster, the long-term trade for Quintana, understanding what Hendricks was, you thought those were kind of known quantities going into this season, and they haven't necessarily been there. I mean, the idea that Mike Montgomery at times during this season has been the second-best cup starting pitcher is very odd, and I just don't think it's gone the way they figured it would, but I'm limiting that to 2018. Everything else that's happened in the past, I'm all set. All right, that's. I I think that's a really
0: healthy way to look at things. So, what what are your expectations? I guess we'll end on this. You know, we get back to get to the end of the season. They've lost in the NLCS again, or you know, th- is making the playoffs enough? Do you, or do you feel like you need um you need another run? Looking at at how sort of how flat the National League is at the top, um, you know, do you need to get back to the NLCS or the World Series to
2: feel? like this wasn't a missed opportunity. I would, I would like to be back to the NLCS at least because I I totally agree about the NL. I just feel like it's not as stacked near the top as it needs to be for this team, not to be right in the conversation as the best team in the, in in the NL. I feel like that might be right now. You know, obviously the Dodgers are lingering and that scares me just in terms of the shock and horror I saw last year, but right now I feel like they can compete with any Mm -hmm. of these teams the chance to go to the world series and get shellacked by whoever comes out of the AL isn't necessarily the most fun idea in the world, but I wouldn't mind watching another world series, even if it went poorly.
0: Fair enough. We'll uh, we'll check back in um, later on. We'll see how, how they do down the stretch. We'll see if Tyler Chatwood regains his command or if they make a move, but, and you know, until then enjoy our larger suit, son, sack, sock and dingers.
2: I, I absolutely will. You never have to worry about that. And I still get Javi bias every day. So even when Kyle Schwarber isn't knocking dingers, I just get the pure unadulterated joy of watching Javi be Javi all of the time, watching him swing at pitches two feet out of the zone during the world, during the home run Derby was just so appropriate because that's what I see every single day. So I'm I'm glad some people got a window. They don't normally get,
0: I think his brother just real quick. I think his brother was like, he was giving him a hard time. Like this was not I totally uh, talked about. Bryce Harper's dad was Zach just now. And like that, that was not the easiest
2: set of deliveries. It's true. And, but some of those balls that he had to reach for that he inexplicably just yanked out that were, you know, at his shins or a few, like a few inches outside. That's how he normally hits home runs. So maybe that's how he wanted it because that's true. I'm not that's... sure where the Javi needs the ball to hit it out because I've seen him hit it out from every single spot inside and outside of the zone. Maybe this is how he learned. Maybe this is just yeah. what he grew
0: up hitting. <laughs> there it is. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, buddy. Anytime. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Maze. We'll be right back with Ben Lindberg. But first, let's take one more quick break to talk about legal Zoom. Becoming a successful business owner doesn't just happen, it takes hard work, and you really can't afford to let anything get in your way. When it comes to all the details and regulations, you need someone that has your back, and that someone is LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom was created 17 years ago with a mission to help all Americans confidently and competently navigate the legal system. Since then, more than a million people have trusted LegalZoom for, for business formation, but your relationship with LegalZoom hardly ends there. LegalZoom put together a network of independent attorneys licensed in every state available to answer questions and provide legal advice for your business without billing by the hour. Because as a business owner, you have enough to worry about without getting bogged down by legal stuff. For that, there's LegalZoom.com. Go to LegalZoom.com now and use promo code MLB at checkout for special savings. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com. All right, time to bring in our closer, Ben Lindberg. Ben. You did not want to talk about the home run derby, as I have talked about with Zach Cram and Robert Mays earlier. So, congratulations, you're off the hook. I
3: think (laughs) it turned out to be better than I expected. I almost wish we were talking about it. Yeah, it
0: it was great. They've, I mean, we've talked about this already, but like, I love the bracket format. It's it's great. And Bryce Harper, obviously, we talked about on Slack that maybe like there was talk that Bryce Harper looked like a looks so much happier after winning the Home Run Derby than than before. And maybe this will break him out of his slump and stuff. So yes. I would... If we well, about as you how, and I discussed yeah.
3: on Slack, I hope that this will be a reverse of the perceived Derby curse in that there's this persistent idea that the Derby screws up hitters, which has been shown time and time again not really to be true. It's just that if you get into the Home Run Derby, it's because you had a great first half. And so there's probably some regression in store. Probably true in the other direction for Bryce Harper because he had such a low BABIP in the first half that he'll probably be better from now on. And maybe people will attribute that to the derby. So it'll be the opposite of what we usually hear. I'm looking forward
0: to it. I can't wait for uh, – like I want Joey Gallo. It might be dangerous to put Joey Gallo in the, in the home run derby. Mm-hmm. I guess they had Aaron Judge in it last year. Nobody died. so. Yeah.
3: Maybe it just goes to show that the field doesn't matter that much because a lot of the best home run hitters and some of the most exciting home run hitters pulled out of the derby. And so there was, I think, less excitement going into this. Mm -hmm. And yet it was still really exciting because it came down to the competition more so than the hitters themselves. And what with Harper and Schwarber, there were still plenty of massive dongs. So it was fun.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to leave that. As it lies, Um, (laughs) one man who is not in the home run derby and is indeed not in major league baseball anymore is uh, Mike Matheny, late of the St. Louis Cardinals, who was fired over the weekend after I I described it before the event as like Moscow 1991. There was a real (laughs) last day, you know, last days of Rome kind of uh, uh, feeling around the Cardinals over the last week. If you'll allow me to mix my metaphors.
3: Yeah, although even I didn't expect them to make this move when they did. It was just losing all those games to the Reds was the last straw, I guess, and seeing how well they've played under their own interim manager. But obviously, it's been more than 20 years since the Cardinals actually fired a manager. So That's (laughs) unbelievable. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you have Tony La Russa for a big chunk of that. But still, they value loyalty and consistency, and Matheny really tested that. And it's somewhat surprising that he lasted as long as he did. I don't think he would have with many other organizations. But as someone who doesn't root for a team that was managed by Mike Matheny, I'll almost miss having him around because in baseball today, there aren't that many managers or general managers or even players that have achieved punchline status that we can all just kind of joke about because everyone's just generally good at their jobs. And if they're not, they don't last that long anymore. But Matheny was the one guy that I think there was kind of a consensus. Okay, this guy's not very good at his job in more than one way.
0: Yeah, I actually think the exact opposite. I will Uh not miss having him around as a punchline because it's and this is what I wrote about that you don't like Matheny didn't lose his job because he doesn't know how to manage a bullpen or because and you said like, um, you know, it's because they they uh, or the Cardinals have never fired their manager dating back 20-odd years because of Tony La Russa. This is Matheny's seventh season. Um, so, wait, eighth season. Wow. So, yeah, so I can't count. Um, so <laughs> he'd been around forever, and he had been successful when the, it, you know, he made the playoffs his first four years. He still, they fired him at one game over five hundred. so he's never had a losing season. Yeah. And the bullpen stuff and the bunting doesn't matter. It's if you can get away with being bad at that stuff by metric standards if you can motivate your clubhouse. And that's mm-hmm. ultimately you know, losing the clubhouse. You can't be bad at both. And that's what Matt Williams learned in Washington a couple years ago. That's what Matheny learned now. I remember vividly the first time I, I saw Ned Yost. I went to a Ned Yost uh, press scrum during the 2015 playoffs, and he was a joke to me. And I watched him talk for six minutes, and I was like, I would walk through fire for that guy. <laughs> and it, that just you know, really drove home how much more important. And we see with Dusty Baker, too. Um, mm-hmm. Charlie Manuel is not really sabermetrically inclined managers who nevertheless uh, players love to play for and play well for. And I think Matheny as a punchline and before him, I don't know who it was, maybe Kevin Towers or Matt Williams or Ruben Amaro, whoever the punchline is at the moment. Like if that's really what you're dining out on and you're not working harder to find more novel things to criticize. It just says to me that you read Moneyball and then just stopped learning. Yeah. So I I am eager to see what the reflexive anti-Mithene crowd moves on to and to, you know, sort of see who's paying attention.
3: Yeah. Well some of the guys you mentioned who have been dinged for their lack of tactical prowess, some of them got better even in their managerial old ages, guys like Ned Yost and even Dusty Baker and Clint Hurdle. These guys kind of reinvented themselves tactically to a certain extent. So you can get better at that. And I don't think Bethany got better at that. And that's the other thing that killed him. (laughs) is just,
0: you know, there was an expectation that he'd learn on the job and he just never did.
3: No, if anything, he learned the wrong lessons because he seemed to regress in more than one way. And that's, I think, what you're saying is that, yeah, we've all kind of agreed in recent years that as frustrating as it might be to see a bad sacrifice bunt or a really bad bullpen move, that is of secondary importance to the leadership and the media relations and the clubhouse camaraderie. And Matheny just did not have any of those things. And I don't think you can necessarily blame the Cardinals for Expecting that he would have those things because I think it made sense back in late 2011 to think that Mike Matheny would be a good leader and would be good in the it clubhouse. It seemed like
0: he was a, a well liked player. And, yeah. you know, for all the criticisms of his management, you know, for my, as far as I understand, he is still everybody thinks he's a nice guy. Yeah. You know, they like him personally. It's just. Yeah, well, I don't know if
3: Dexter Fowler... Yeah, I don't know if Dexter (laughs) Fowler or Jordan Hicks do, but... Right. (laughs) Yeah, so there seemed to be more and more problems, maybe as the age gap grew between him and his typical player, But when they brought him on, he was universally respected. And I think there was every reason to think that at his age, he could connect with young players. And the opposite turned out to be the case. And in a sport and in a league where teams are skewing younger and younger and the emphasis on youth has just increased by the season, He was this guy who seemed to have a persistent bias against young players, really going back to the beginning. He wouldn't play guys. He seemed to have this very old school mentality and considered young players soft, and they had to repeatedly prove themselves. And I think it hurt the Cardinals. This is a team that depends on player development. And to have a guy like this who was so out of step with the times, I think, was really harmful. And even when it comes to recruiting players, there were guys like Jason Hayward who chose another team. Now, maybe that ended up benefiting the Cardinals. And Jason Hayward's in now. He's said <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, Two years into, three years
0: into his contract.
3: <laughs> yeah. But I think he just Didn't have a lot of fun and didn't really believe in fun for baseball teams. And I think players gravitate toward fun managers. And Matheny was just the antithesis of that. And lately with the Jordan Hicks, Bud Norris controversy and his comments about that and some of the Tommy Pham stuff and the Dexter Fowler stuff, it just seemed like he was really rubbing players the wrong way. And if you're not making up for that in other ways, which I don't think he was, there's just no reason to consider that guy the best choice. So I think this move was overdue.
0: And I'd I'd go even one level more specific than that. I don't think it's, I think players will, will work for a, We'll respect. We'll, we'll work hard for a manager who isn't necessarily fun. And you know, we've talked about Joe Madden. I don't know if you saw the Athletic uh, survey of 200 odd yes. players, and you know Joe Madden was the pl- was the manager that most players said that they wanted to play for. But he was also second, and just barely second on the list of managers that, that players would least like to play for. Yes. And I think I think you know you take that Joe Madden or, or Gabe Kapler is another example of this. The manager who seems to be pretty successful right now, but could rub players the wrong way. I think there's just a matter of, and there's a generational divide, and this is where it's so confusing with Matheny being so young as a manager. It, there's a generational divide about power and respect, you know, it, I'm going to tell a college baseball story. Oh no! So the the generation of of coaches from the 70s, the you know the ones who bought a lot and overused pitchers, but the ones who who really made college baseball what it is today, um, are they're in their 70s and 80s and and just now retiring and you know leaving their jobs. And a couple of years ago, uh, my colleague at D1 Baseball at the time, Eric Sorensen, published an extensive interview with three of those coaches, and they decried the culture of entitlement and uh, among young players and i don't think it's entitlement i think it's just self-respect like Mm -hmm. players want to be treated like they they don't take it for granted uh that you have to do everything that every authority figure says if the if you don't think the authority figure has your best interests at heart and i think that's where you lose young athletes it's not like oh kids and by being you know, Matheny never said this in so many words, but it's the same. Oh, kids are on their phone all the time. Like yeah. it's it's his job to come and meet the players where they are. If you know, it's not just the player's job to do whatever they're told. It's you know, the players make the team. So the manager or the coach in in the college uh, uh, in the college ranks, if they're going to recruit players, if they're going to get the best out of players, if they're going to coach players up and get them to really buy into a system or a technique change that You have to earn the player's respect, and I think that's a way that that the game and society in general has changed for the better. Uh, but the failure to rec- to recognize that or or adapt to that, you know, and just the some of the language that Matheny used, you know, I said this in my column that you know soft is is, is a specific criticism, but it's also a code. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's disappointing to see a manager in his forties. Fall back on that, and yeah. as you know, as annoying as I might find, uh, Gabe Kapler or Joe Madden from time to time, I'll give them all the credit in the world for meeting their players where they are, for understanding that that relationship takes a lot of effort from you know it's it's not just you know you need carrot you need to sometimes be able to explain yourself and there's a difference between you know strength and power and and understanding the difference between those and you know i think as much as teaching as much as it was important to teach managers to use their, their closer and tie games on the road or not to sacrifice bun every time uh there's a runner on first base and less than two outs. It's it's been important for managers to learn to be managers, and that's something I think this crop of of you know the the best managers in baseball, Madden, Francona, AJ Hinch, Dave Roberts, they do both, and
3: Matheny did neither to, to his <laughs> right. ultimate peril. And he handled the recent Hicks Norris story so poorly. So I thought. Just terribly. I mean, the actual truth of that story without having been there, it's hard to say exactly whether what Norris was doing crossed the line from veteran mentorship. To hazing,
0: I think the fact that Hicks no commented it instead of
3: initially shaking
0: right. it off. Yeah, yeah. And
3: subsequently, he walked he, it back he walked and it said, back, oh, I, you know, Bud Norris is great and it's all for my benefit. But of course, that's what he would say if he were after he had been to talked to, yeah, get Bud Norris off his back or mm-hmm. try to preserve some clubhouse harmony there. But Matheny's comments in that story were just, you know, he came out and said, well, that's what Bud's going to do and he's the veteran. So you just kind of have to let him do that. And he talked very nostalgically about how baseball used to have teeth and now it's soft, and it really was just pretty repugnant. And then in the aftermath of the story, he questioned the accuracy of the reporting. And it really what a just, flex, what a flex yeah. by
0: Mark Saxon to say, yes, to, "I'll play this tape on
3: the radio, show the receipts." Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, I mean, he just handled that really poorly, and I think it was emblematic of his whole treatment of rookies and young players. And You just can't be a manager and work that way in today's game, which I think is a good thing. And he just didn't fit. And again, I don't know that the Cardinals could have expected that it would turn out that way, but it did. And I think he didn't even really fit into the mold where I think teams are hiring managers now because they think they'll be controllable by the front office. Someone like Aaron Boone with no managerial experience, you figure, well, he can handle the press and he'll listen to what we tell him. And I don't think Matheny even fit that mold because he kind of had his own ideas of who was going to play and what the lineup was going to look like. And particularly after he won the World Series, I think he was a lot less amenable to the front office's suggestions. And so he just didn't fit. And. You know, you look at his record and on the one hand, it's sort of an indication of maybe managers don't matter all that much because we're sitting here blasting Mike Matheny and talking about how he was ill suited to be a major league manager. And yet he did win a World Series and the Cardinals during his tenure won the third most games of any team. And so if he was as bad a manager as we're saying, well, that kind of shows you how much having a bad manager actually hurts you because the Cardinals were really successful for most of Matheny's tenure regardless. And- I don't know. I think of something that the baseball writer and researcher Phil Birnbaum wrote several years ago. He said, you gain more by not being stupid than you do by mm-hmm. being smart. Smart gets neutralized by other smart people. Stupid does not. So you can go and hire a, a good smart manager, and I'm sure the Cardinals will do their best to do that now. But lots of teams have smart managers, and you're probably not going to get a manager who's more than a win or two better than any other manager out there today but you can go out and get a really bad manager who will sabotage you and hurt you and maybe Matheny had morphed into that so i think this was time to make this move if that time wasn't a couple years ago
0: yeah that's a great point about the the downside being better than the upside or bigger yeah. than the upside um yeah. where do you think this leaves the cardinals in the playoff race cuz they're obviously sort of adrift but they're not out of it yet they're only mm-hmm. a couple games back of certainly the wild card and they're I, the division is Probably out of reach with two teams to climb over, but mm-hmm. if they're in this sort of there's maybe 10 teams in the National League that still have at, you know, a non-trivial shot at a wild card spot. So, you know, do you think that just having some change might might help turn the team around?
3: Well, I think teams do typically tend to improve after a managerial change, although that often has more to do with kind of a dead cat bounce than the manager himself. You Mm -hmm. know, you get fired because your team is underperforming, and then it tends to perform closer to expectations, whether it's the manager's doing or not. So I do think they'll be better, and I believe I picked them preseason as a wildcard team. I wouldn't today if I were redoing my predictions just because of where they stand, They're something like a one in four shot right now, according to the projections, I think, to get one of those wild cards. So it's not at all out of the question. But I don't think that the managerial change alone will really make the difference between non-playoff team and playoff team as much as Jim Riggleman is trying to change my mind on that in Cincinnati, who've suddenly morphed into one of the the best playing teams in baseball since poor, that move was poor made.
0: Poor C-trends fighting off <laughs> Cincinnatians by the tens of thousands, convinced that the, the Reds are going to turn their 10 games under 500 into, <laughs> into a playoff spot.
3: I know. Yeah, so I think they're probably a long shot and end up on the outside looking in, but they'll have yet another winning season. I know that Cardinals fans like to lament just how terrible things have gotten for this team. Almost any other team would take the Cardinals position over their position. It's a pretty enviable track record, even in recent years. So matheny has gone and we'll remember him for his most glaring <laughs> mismanagement moments. Like I think that the Michael Waka decision in the 2014 NLCS is the most baffled I've been by any managerial move in recent years. Oh, I really boy. think I haven't been more flabbergasted by anything, including Buck Showalter and the wild card game. I mean, you could list the greatest hits of the last several postseasons. We should do and, and, that. And, yeah, like, I mean, somebody they're... write
0: this down. We should definitely <laughs> do this later in the they're... season
3: plenty of terrible moves that have been made. But putting Michael Waka in in that situation after having not pitched for a month, that remains, I think, the most baffled I've been. And his justification about how you can't use the closer in the tie game on the road was just really a, a face palm, forehead slapping sort of moment that I couldn't believe what had happened. So that's what we'll all remember about Mike Matheny, those moments. But His real legacy, I think, and probably the more crucial reason that he is no longer a major league manager is what he did or didn't do in the clubhouse. But I do wonder whether he will get a second act because he's only 47, and I could definitely envision some team that is coming off of the fun-loving, happy-go-lucky manager saying, you know what we need? We need the stern, square-jawed disciplinarian who's never gonna crack a smile. He's just gonna stand there in a corner of the dugout looking inspirational. Let's bring in Mike Matheny. He was a World Series winning manager, so I could see him being back someday but it might take a few years for the the stink to wear off.
0: Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what would have to do or what what would have to happen in order for him to get another shot cuz you'd think just teams love retreads, but just though it's not just how bad it cuz it did, it never got so like there was as we've said there's there's no 95 loss season or anything like that. Yeah. It's just the way that that he proved that he wasn't up to the job would make me very reluctant to, right. to hire him. Like there, you know, what do you gain by his experience over a guy with no experience?
3: Yeah. Um, and he I, showed zero growth during yeah. his time there. So
0: I do want to say shout out to Will Leach. Uh uh, St. Louis Cardinals Super fan who mm-hmm. took his son to his first uh <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was his first game at Bush Stadium, I think, and was completely you know, said, Oh, my son has seen a terrible Mike <laughs> Matheny double switch and it turned yep. out to be Matheny's last game. So yeah that's that's, right. that's great parenting, getting it under the wire.
3: I was talking to Will yesterday, and I said it's like the old Joe DiMaggio quote about how he always wanted to be at his best <laughs> because someone might be seeing him for the first time. That was Matheny. Someone might be seeing me for the first time, so I have to make my trademark terrible double switch, even in my last game as a manager.
0: Okay, well we'll we'll check back in with the Cardinals if they do anything. I guess you know they're not going to do anything this interesting for the rest of the season, but no, uh, we'll you know check back in with them soon enough, and we'll. uh and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for coming on.
3: Good grave dancing with you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That'll do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB Show. I want to say thank you to Zach Cram, Robert Mays, and Ben Lindbergh for coming on. Thanks to Manny Machado, Kyle Schwarber, Tyler Chatwood, and Mike Matheny for giving us stuff to talk about. And thanks to Jim Cunningham for producing today's episode. And before I go, I want to say a special thank you to Bill Baer, who founded Crash Burn Alley, the site where I cut my teeth and got my start. Uh, That site... Uh, shutters its doors after more than a decade. Um, Bill and I are two of just numerous uh, national and local writers, including Ben Harris of The Athletic and Eric Long and Hagen of Fangraphs, who got their starts there. So on a personal note, and in the interest of remembering where you came from, I wanted to acknowledge the superhuman effort that- bill and corinne landry and eric chesterton and spencer Bengal and matt Winkleman have put into running that site over the years providing great phillies analysis and providing a place for young writers to really get their start so uh, for that reason i'll be sad to see it go um but with that said thank you for listening to the podcast and enjoy the week's action enjoy the all-star game and we'll talk to you next week Memory Bank's Earn More Checking account pays 1.60% annual percentage yield. That's 30 times the national average on interest. No confusing monthly requirements. Just take 10 minutes to open an online account, and your deposits will start growing from dollar $1. It's super easy and offers all the features you'd expect, such as mobile deposit, bill pay, and external transferability. Visit mymemorybank.com mlb and apply to start earning 1.60% APY today. annual percentage yield APY as of June 28, 2018 paid on earn more balances from one cent to $249,999.99. For funds in excess of $249,999.99, 0.05% APY will be earned. $50 minimum opening deposit message and data rates may apply member FDIC.